Hello and welcome back to a Salesforce United podcast, a show to satisfy our curiosity about Salesforce and the best part about Salesforce community. Here we discuss engineering discoveries, professional secrets and the career of our guests. My name is Andrei Paskrikov, I am a software engineer and your host for this show. Hello, my name is Olga and as always I'm passionate about Salesforce and about our new episode. Hello everyone, it's me, Olga Dmitrieva, a Salesforce software testing engineer and I'm happy to greet you here today on our podcast devoted to exploring this fascinating world of Salesforce. Don't you wish you could just peer into a crystal ball or break open a fortune cookie and divine the future? And what about the future of Salesforce? Maybe you could find out exactly which way the industry is headed, or what new CRM features will make it easier for your sales team to reach better targets in 2023. Oh, what disruptive technology will make a big impact on the marketing workflow next year? Such questions and more are all in our minds. Luckily, on our today's podcast episode, we are delighted to introduce you Georgi Savelyev, a Salesforce software a certified technical architect and a 38 times Salesforce certified professional with hands-on expertise such as implementing Salesforce communi- communications cloud globally and a co-leader of Dubai Salesforce architect community group. Georgi will help us to understand a little about these issues. So Georgi, welcome aboard. Thanks guys. Thanks for having me. I've been listening to the podcast for a few of the last episodes. You had my uh, my friends uh, Gosha and Misha on the last couple episodes, so I decided you know I should reach out and see if I can get on the podcast. So <laughs> thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thank you very much. And let me move to one of the most interesting aspects of your professional life. You managed to cover so many roles on Salesforce projects, PM, BA, Dev, Architect. You have 38 Salesforce certificates and are one of top CATs. And I have a question in this regard. How did you manage to achieve all that? Well, I think the, the biggest factor of it is just time, um, especially if we're talking about like uh, certifications and specifically CTA, definitely the biggest factor there is time and also motivation. Um, for CTA specifically, because it takes so much time, I think, you know, for, for most people, it would take between six months on the low end to two years on the high end. And you don't, you don't set out on that kind of journey and actually finish it unless you have a big internal motivation. Um, and then uh, earlier in my career, I did a few different roles. So I was acting as a, a project manager, as a business analyst, um, partially as a developer. So uh, a big factor of that was I was in a rotational program where I was doing a variety of different roles to kind of figure out what what I wanted to do um, after I finished the rotational program. So that was hugely beneficial for me because when I graduated from university, um, I had this thought that I wanted to be a project manager. And then I acted as a project manager and realized that I understand that this is a very important role, but I'm not very good at it. And more importantly, I just do not like it. So I feel like uh, one of the big takeaways from that was, um, you know, you should try a variety of roles because what you think you might like might not actually be what you're good at and what you actually do like. So, yeah, but coming back to the question, basically time and motivation are, are the biggest factors. 
Yeah, time is a real fortune of us and you are a really highly motivated professional and you can set a good example to our listeners to follow, I think. As I see that you've been involved in many different directions, right? But speaking in general about work-life balance, so we always, um, you know, um, curious how our uh, those uh, top-level guests to manage all that. So I, I think this is one area where I'm still struggling to do this well. I think work-life balance is definitely a challenge for me. Um, like when I was doing my CTA prep, I was working on customer work, maybe on average 50 hours a week, and then on internal initiatives at the company for maybe an additional five or 10 hours a week, and then maybe like 20 hours a week of CTA study on top of that. So basically my entire week and uh, weeknights, and then most of my weekend was you know dedicated to work or CTA, which is kind of work-related. Um, after CTA, it got a lot better. You know, I, I'm not that uh, crazy loaded, but um, yeah, I, I think this is this is a, a challenging aspect that I don't really have a good answer for. <laughs> I feel like the the most important thing is um, there's this concept of say do ratio that if you say something and you commit to doing something, then actually do it. You know, don't say that you'll do something and then not actually do it. For me, this is very important. So if, if you know that you're not going to be able to do something at all because you don't have enough bandwidth, make sure to just say no up front. Or I don't know, if, if you committed to something but realize you're not going to be able to do it in time, call that out as soon as you can. Um, for me, I think this is one of the most important things that can help with work-life balance. Like, don't be afraid to say no. It's not your responsibility to say yes to absolutely everything that comes across your plate. You know, prioritize the important things. Um, when you do say yes to something, make sure that you actually deliver it. Um, so I think work-life balance is, is a challenging thing and maybe maybe if we have another podcast in a few years from now, we'll have a better answer for you. <laughs> Got it. Uh, thank you. And uh, in, uh, on the other hand, it makes you very reliable, right? Because when people know you say yes, it means you will do it. So that's a very cool tactic. Thank you. Georgi, and as far as we know, you specialize in industry cloud, communication cloud in particular. And what solutions does communication cloud provide for common industry challenges? What is all about? Yeah, this is one of the things I really love. And um, I think this is one of the very, very cool things in the Salesforce space as of the last few years. So when, when I entered the Salesforce ecosystem, there was a system called Siebel that was very popular. And one of the strategies behind Siebel was different industry verticals. So there was a, a Siebel product that was specialized for like healthcare, for communications, aka telco, for other different industries as well. Um, when Salesforce started out, it was a horizontal platform. So it was just a, a sales CRM, a generic sales CRM that wasn't industry specific. And then there was a service CRM that again was not industry specific. So, so uh, in 2018, I joined a company called Velocity. They built industry specific solutions. And in 2020, they were acquired by Salesforce. And then uh, with this acquisition, I think Salesforce shifted the strategy a little bit to be more industry specific. And to me, it felt like kind of a replay of the whole uh, Siebel story of having these industry specific verticals. So um, that's kind of a, a bit of a background about industry cloud. So there were some industries that started 
um, in Salesforce organically prior to the Velocity acquisition, like Financial Service Cloud, Health Cloud, and there were other industries that came in through the Velocity acquisitions, like Communications Cloud, and I'm uh, working specifically on Communications Cloud for the past five years or so. For all of these different industry clouds, they, I would say, have maybe three different components. So all of them will have a industry-specific data model. The power behind this is that you you standardize on one specific data model. There's kind of a uh, preset data model that you should leverage. And the data model is so fundamental, it will impact every other area of the implementation, integrations, sharing, governance, everything. So having a good, you know, a good data model that has been vetted by industry experts and has stood the challenge of time is super important. That's one aspect of it. Another aspect is most of the industry clouds nowadays have um, Omni Studio. Omni Studio, you can think of it as a kind of a more feature-rich version of Flow. It's an automation platform. Um, majority of them nowadays have Omni Studio. My guess is that all of them will have it someday in the future. And then the last piece of it is the industry-specific components that are built out. So in communications, specifically, we have industries CPQ, um, which is different from Salesforce CPQ, if you've heard of that. There's industries order management, which is different from Salesforce order management, if you've heard of that. And then there are a few other components like contract lifecycle management, digital commerce, etc. So basically, they're kind of like three, three additional major pieces to it, the um, data model, Omni Studio, and then some industry-specific components that will differ a lot industry to industry. Thanks a lot for such an interesting discussion and the background information. Uh, and now we have the idea of what this direction is about, and we can move further to the discussion of Salesforce World. Yeah, yeah. My favorite questions about future. Uh, Georgi, you mentioned that... Um, kind of uh, shift in a strategy of uh, Salesforce when Salesforce paid attention to industry clouds. How, what, what do you think about uh, what trends do you see in the Salesforce world these days? I had the feeling that Salesforce was really putting a lot of, uh, a lot of effort into industries and I feel like that's continuing to happen. But um, with what's been happening at Salesforce, the company in the past six months or so, Maybe that's changing. I don't really know. I left the company about what eight months ago, so I, I don't really have any like insider information, um, uh, by the way. But this is just my personal feeling. Um, it feels like perhaps things are changing, but there does seem to be a bigger focus on industries. And then in general, you know, the the big announcement at um, TDX this year was Einstein GPT. Um, this feels kind of like a um, a big marketing push because this is the really hot thing that everyone is talking about. I don't know how much of an actual long-term strategic thing it will become. It will be interesting to see how that plays out. But, you know, Salesforce is a leader of the CRM industry. I don't really see any serious contenders that are um, potentially dethroning Salesforce as the number one CRM in the next at least five years, maybe 10, 15 years from now, something will happen. But I, I mentioned the company Siebel earlier in terms of how industry cloud got started. I think this is kind of my guess is that the Siebel story will end up replaying long term. So what happened with Siebel is there was a company called Siebel. It got acquired by a company called Oracle. There was a person named Mark Benioff that then left Oracle slash Siebel and started Salesforce. And then Salesforce kind of killed and replaced Siebel. My feeling is that story will exactly one to one replay in the future. 
Um, basically, Salesforce is playing the role that Siebel had. The question is, will it get acquired or will Salesforce itself basically become Oracle? And then who will be the next, uh, who will be, you know, the Salesforce 2.0? I really have no idea. I haven't heard of anyone that I would seriously consider for that position. But my guess is that cycle will repeat. It's just a question of when will that happen and who will who will be the replacer. Wow, 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 wow. So we can we can expect from your perspective, we can expect Salesforce 2.0, some new Salesforce, some company with completely different name and some new ideas, new approaches, new like some innovations. Great, great. So it's next couple of years, it's a time to watch different startups in uh, Salesforce industry or on sales sales automation industry. What startups, what new companies uh, you notice in the, in the mar- uh, on the market? Well, in the CRM space, I've heard of um, Airtable and Zoho. Those are the only names that I've heard a few times. I haven't really looked into them in detail. And from my perspective, it doesn't seem like they're, um, at this point, potential serious contenders for Salesforce. I don't know. My, my personal feeling is I think Salesforce will continue to be the leader for at least like 10 years. and. As people that are very invested in the Salesforce ecosystem and for myself, you know, I, I spent a lot of time on CTA, which is very Salesforce specific. I feel that there will be at least five or 10 years of big benefit out of that. And then when Salesforce does someday get replaced by a different system, I think, again, the same thing that happened with Siebel will happen to us. So when I started in the ecosystem, a lot of people were former, you know, Siebel developers, architects, consultants, and they were moving over to Salesforce because a lot of things are similar. A lot of things translate really well. I think that exactly the same thing will happen when a Salesforce 2.0 comes out. A lot of the ecosystem will just gradually shift over to that next platform, whatever it is. So I'm personally not not really concerned about the, the future for us as Salesforce professionals. I think it will just naturally uh, uh, progress to whatever the next evolution of it is. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And even we will have some new platform, 10 years is enough <laughs> to to make our like n- next career step. Um, but uh, let's, you know, let's dive into it. And um, I want to, I want you to de- kind of decode for our listeners. How can these changes affect people like professionals, hundreds of thousands of professionals working with Salesforce platform? I, I think the the biggest impact is what I described that like eventually someday we'll have a, a shift to some other platform and then people will need to first identify that that shift is happening and then try and get on board onto that next platform. But I don't think that there will be a huge um, a, a huge challenge moving over. Like if my theory is correct that the Siebel story will be replayed, it, it will be very easy to learn whatever the next Salesforce is. So. I'm, I'm personally not too concerned. I, I think it will be more, more or less a seamless transition. I think the, the hard part will be identifying what could potentially be the replacement someday in the future and then trying to get on board that early on in the process. Because there's the risk that you make the wrong um, choice, start shifting over to some other platform, that other platform goes out of business or for whatever reason, you know, doesn't become a serious contender in the space. And then you've kind of 
missed the opportunity and also wasted your own time of, I don't know, six months, a year, whatever, that you were learning that other platform. So I feel like being an early adopter is great, but then there's the risk that you are an early adopter of the wrong thing <laughs> and then you kind of wasted your own time. So um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not too concerned about it. I, I feel like um, I feel like it, it will be pretty easy to identify when that shift is like gaining critical mass and you see a lot of people from the ecosystem shift, shifting over to something else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, got it. Okay, uh, but speaking about the Salesforce ecosystem, uh, I, I uh, think you, you said you bet on the industry cloud skills and uh, knowledge about different industry clouds. So it is, it's uh, the, the main skills everyone should pay attention at, right? Um, I, I wouldn't say it, it's like the main skill that people should pay attention to, but I would say the the market for people with just sales and service cloud experience or just platform experience like Apex, LWC is pretty saturated. Pretty much anyone that works in the ecosystem knows sales cloud, service cloud, the core platform. In my opinion, everyone should pick some kind of niche. So this, this can be some specific product or maybe some area of the product. I don't know, maybe you're like a super DevOps, DevOps expert and that's that's your specific niche. Or like it, uh, for me, my niche is communications cloud in the communications industry. I feel that everyone in the, in the ecosystem should find a niche beyond just sales service and platform because those are those are really saturated. So um in in my opinion that's that's where the that's where the key focus for people should be that's interesting as i'm just learning exactly sales and service cloud <laughs> so probably way more uh, to learn in the future which is a bit scary but you know interesting as well and uh, in terms of uh, the phenomenon of low-code tools is it true that they are growing right now in popularity in your uh, opinion will they this popularity reached its peak or we will see more and more technologies like that uh, to appear? So um, Salesforce has made a lot of investments in Flow recently. I saw at TDX there was a really cool session of flows with uh, reactive components. So what this means is that within a flow, within like a step of a flow, you can have one component that will influence a different component. So maybe you have like a, a checkbox that will show or hide a different component on the page. So maybe you have like a checkbox that shows or hides like a tax ID number or something like that. Um, basically flows are becoming more powerful and if you see the marketing and the ecosystem around flows, it's like everyone is talking about flows, how great they are. Um, I think that there's this misconception that low code or no code is uh, easy and you don't need a you know engineering background to be able to build with no code or low code tools, which I don't like. I, I think that is a huge misconception and is you know fundamentally incorrect. If you look at a complex flow, like if you've seen it on LinkedIn, people post, you know, a screenshot of a flow with like a thousand different components and lines going everywhere. Does that look easy? You know, I think um, fundamentally for something, for a complex requirement, whether you build it with code or whether you build it with a low code tool, you need to have engineering concepts. You know, you, you need to understand what is a for loop, what is a variable, what is DML, SQL. Even if you're not actually writing code, you need to understand these concepts because low code tools ultimately under the hood will be 
you know, doing those things, even though you're not writing code. So yeah, that, that's kind of a misconception that, that's a bit annoying. But um, I think the, the really good thing about no code or low code and the shift to it is it makes the it makes the um, barrier to getting into this ecosystem much smaller. Like one of the things I really liked about Salesforce was for me coming from a Java background, like in high school, I took a Java class and I was able to very quickly learn Apex. And for me, it was very easy to get into the ecosystem because of that. I think um, because for simple use cases, no code and low code is very easy to learn. It makes it easy for someone that's you know fresh out of university or kind of shifting into a different career to jump into the platform and immediately be able to add value for simple use cases. But again, for complex use cases, you know you still need to have those complex concepts and you, you shouldn't underestimate it. But I, I think that's really the power of no code and low code. It resists the the barrier of entry into the ecosystem. And as for Salesforce developers, should they be afraid of low code? And maybe you could advise what to concentrate on as a pro Salesforce developer? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. So I think as a developer, you should know all of the no code and low code tools and know when to select code versus when to select one of these no code or low code tools because your customer has purchased Salesforce. You know, one of the key value adds of Salesforce is that it has so many rich no-code and low-code capabilities. Your customer didn't purchase AWS where they need to write everything with code. You should also adopt that mindset. You know, If you have a requirement and you can solve it with no-code or low-code and there aren't any major downsides, then you should solve it with that, even though you can do it with code. And I, I see that a lot of developers newer into the ecosystem, they, I mean, as a developer, you probably got into this career because you love writing code. And so it's kind of a mind sh mindset shift that you should actually pick the no code, low code option if it's the best option. And you should pick the code option if it's you know more maintainable, more performant, more scalable, whatever. But I see a lot of developers always want to go with the pro code option. And yeah, just don't fall into that trap. And if you really want to go always pro code, maybe you should reevaluate if Salesforce is the is the best ecosystem for you. Okay, so and I would like to shift to the topic of GPT Einstein. You have just talked about it, and I would like to talk about the way GPT Einstein can transform the world. In your opinion, what do you think uh, this technology can do in general, and also in context of Salesforce? The, the demo around Einstein GPT during TDX was really cool. If I recall correctly, it was um, someone submitting a case through a web channel or something. The sales agent would see the case in the service council and then Einstein GPT was like looking at the previous cases, looking at other data inside of Salesforce and then pre-creating the responses. It would show a response in terms of an email with you know five paragraphs or something. And then the agent could say, oh, make it less formal so that it, I don't know, fits the company's culture a little bit better because you're like a cool startup, you don't want to use super formal language. So they were able to just reply back saying, um, Einstein GPT, please make it less formal. And then it rewrote the email, but in less formal language. Um, I think something like that is super cool, where otherwise the service agent would need to think about it, type out an email that would probably take five, 10 minutes. Maybe they would also have to research some things that would take an additional 20 minutes. So maybe that whole email would take them 30 minutes or an hour. With Einstein GPT, they get like a very good um, template that they can then modify 
maybe they just do some tweaks, it takes them a minute or two. So I feel like that could be a huge time saver for sales and service agents to, I don't know, mi minimize the time they need to look through a bunch of different records, do some research. It, it does all of that for them. They just sanity check it, make some tweaks, and there you go. I feel like the, the dangerous part of it is if you get too comfortable with it, um, you know, AI is only AI. It doesn't have that human touch to it. You know, it, it might be looking at data and the data might tell some story, but then you might know that actually that story is incorrect because our data is incorrect or it's looking at the wrong source because the pricing is wrong or whatever. You also need that human touch. So I feel like there's the risk that people will get too comfortable, just do whatever the um, Einstein GPT says, and then, you know, don't, don't put a human sanity check on top of it. And then that will be a disaster for everyone. So that's kind of my, my fear behind it. And I hope that, um, I hope that people will realize that and, and always add the human touch to it. Um, but it, it would be interesting to see how much of this is um, marketing and, you know, trying to jump on top of latest bandwagon versus how much of it is really a strategic thing that, you know, will actually be a product and actually be usable and all of that. To my understanding, this product is not GA yet. I don't know what the schedule is, but I would guess maybe within a year or so it would be available. Um, so my question is, you know, based on what they demoed, how much of that is actually usable versus how much of that is roadmap and will only be usable in a few years. I bet people will definitely rely on such tools and uh, but the idea about lack of human check, I think I think it will happen, unfortunately. Well, one, uh, uh, one thing to add, one of the really cool use cases as well is that um, it was able to generate kind of boilerplate Apex code. So, you know, if you look at like a, an interface and you need to have a specific class that implements another class and then these specific methods, it will just do all of that for you rather than you having to look into help docs. And then you can also feed it a Apex class and it will generate a test class for you. Those could be like huge time savers for not only the users of Salesforce, but also the team supporting Salesforce, where you aren't spending all that time building a, a test class. Again, you just get a template that you then tweak, add the human touch to, and go with. So it, it, it could be a huge time uh, time saver from the implementation team point of view as well. So I'm really looking forward to it. Just my, my doubt is, you know, how fast will it come? and how much of that will actually be available in, in the first iteration. Yeah, yeah, because it's exactly what uh, all the developers do in their IDs. They uh, write templates and we usually, you know, use a lot of templates, you know. Okay, uh, Georgi, let me ask uh, about your personal future. Uh, you have um, reached the, one of the top positions in that Salesforce ecosystem. Uh, I mean, certifications and professional experience and projects you you made. What career do you see for yourself in the future? Uh, well, first of all, I, I wouldn't say I've reached the top. I feel like this is just, you know, one step in a much longer journey. <laughs> um, it, my, my goal for the moment is uh, I, I relocated to Dubai. I opened a company here and I'm planning on uh, expanding the company right now. It's just me basically acting as a freelancer, but I do want to expand, grow a team around me and 
build kind of a boutique focused on communications cloud. So right now, the biggest challenge that I'm having is I know all of the technical aspects of things. I generally know how you would run a Salesforce program, that sort of things, but I have no idea how to run a business. You know, I opened a legal entity for the first time, opened a business bank account for the first time, and trying to do a job contract for people, you know, contract negotiations. All of this is a huge, uh, a huge learning journey for me, and it's just shocking how many small things that seems straightforward that you need to learn to be able to run a business. So it's really exciting for me that this is something completely new to me and I'm trying to tackle it one day at a time. And of course, my previous knowledge of actually knowing how Salesforce works helps a lot because I don't really need to think about that that much. Now I can focus my mental energy on, on uh, all of these new things I need to figure out around running a business. So uh, that's basically it for me right now. and. Um, yeah, I, I would advise for people to think about your, um, you know, if you haven't thought about it, just think about where do you see yourself as like, what is the next step in your journey? This doesn't necessarily need to be a super detailed five year plan, but maybe what would be the ideal next job that you want? Or I don't know if you want to shift from like a developer to an architect, what would be the best next step to do that? The way I've approached my career is always just looking kind of one step ahead setting a goal that's reasonably achievable, working towards it, getting to that goal, and then thinking about what's next. A lot of people have this like detailed five-year plan that, okay, I'm going to have these three jobs. I feel like it's too hard to plan because your personal life changes, the world changes. It's just impossible to plan that far ahead. So I would say, you know, try and plan like one or two steps ahead and do your best to actually make that happen. Again, coming back to the say-do ratio, it's like the say-do ratio for what you're committing to yourself, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I absolutely agree about that five-year plans, uh, which can be detailed, but it's just impossible to do everything in, in five years. Well, and summing up, I think, uh, you know, all people are shaped by something and I'm sure our listeners would like to know more about you as a person, like who you are, right? <laughs> and uh, could you please name uh, one book that influenced your life the most, one movie you're willing to watch over and over again, and one song that you will never skip in the audio. Or maybe you can sing that song. <laughs> I'm, I'm not much of a singer, unfortunately. So this is a really hard one. Like, first of all, I don't really read often. I feel bad to admit that, but I'm just not much of a reader. When, when I do read, I prefer to read nonfiction books. Like, I don't know, technical books. There was this great book by um, Tamim Bari about becoming a CTA that was like really good for anyone that's interested in their CTA journey. Um, I read the book by Mark Benioff about his personal journey, about, you know, all of the Oracle, Siebel and building Salesforce. Um, but if I think about something outside of that realm, like more traditional fiction that would influence you as a person, I feel like um, 1984 was an interesting one. I was just thinking about this question and trying to think what, what, book, what book first comes to mind, because that's probably the one that influenced me the most. And for me, it was that book. Um, I, I don't want to like dive into politics and stuff, but I feel like uh, that book is about your perception of reality. And then for me, I've lived in a lot of different places. So it's really interesting how living in different cultures will then change your perception of potentially your home reality. Um, 
And I, I feel like that book is basically about that, and that's what influenced me the most. And I feel like one big part of my identity is the fact that I've lived in a lot of places and I'm kind of a globetrotter. In terms of movie, um, I would say Office Space, again, is the first one that comes to mind. So this is just a, a stupid comedy about corporate bureaucracy. And I feel like for all of us working in, you know, the enterprise customer space, a lot of this is just ridiculous, but then you see small pieces of it in, in your day-to-day -day life. So sometimes you're sitting in a ridiculous meeting and you're just thinking of some scene from Office Space. So I just really love that movie. Um, and for a song... You can just name your favorite band or singer. Well, my favorite singer is Michael Jackson. I feel like this is something that, um, you know, almost everyone across the whole world knows. I remember when, uh, when he died, I, I don't remember how old I was, but I think in like around 10 or 15 or something. And everyone, like the whole world was crying because he was such a superstar and he influenced everyone's lives. I remember my parents were saying um, when they were young, they were, you know, dancing to Michael Jackson's songs when they were like 20 or 25. I feel like it just, he, he influenced basically everyone that is currently alive right now. And that's just amazing that one person can have such a big influence. You know, probably every single person on the globe has heard a Michael Jackson song before. And, that's just really amazing and I feel like he had a very good message of you know people should love each other and all of that so great choice uh, I can't but ask you've mentioned traveling yeah tell us please more about where you've been and maybe you can even like name top country you you have been living and the country you felt uh, less comfortable in yeah, I feel like this is also um, has the potential to get into, you know, political discussion. So I'll try and avoid that. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I was uh, I was originally born in um, Russia. My parents moved to the U.S. when I was young. And then I uh, went to school there, went to university there, had my first job there. Um, when I was uh, 20, uh, when I was in my mid 20s, I was traveling a lot for work. So we were doing a global Salesforce implementation. Basically every month we were traveling to a different country because we we're rolling out across the globe and we need to do workshops there, understand their local requirements and so on. So through that experience, it was absolutely amazing. I got to see the world. Prior to that, I almost never traveled. Um, we went to Mexico once and Canada once, but yeah, I basically didn't see the world prior to that. And then suddenly over a two year span, I went to maybe 20 countries or something. So for me, that just really opened my eyes I always had this desire that I wanted to see the world and, you know, here this opportunity just came up and I got to see the world. And then um, each time I would go back home after a business trip, I was just like, oh, I wish I could stay longer. I wish I could see more. And then gradually I realized, okay, I think I want to just live abroad. <laughs> so then um, that took me back to Moscow and Russia um, because that was the easiest opportunity for me. Um, I went there, stayed there for about a year and a half. I um, was dating my girlfriend, who is now my wife. We got married there, and then she got a job opportunity in Amsterdam, Netherlands. So then that took us to Netherlands. I actually wasn't very excited about moving. I was pretty happy with how things were um, in Moscow, but yeah, that took us to Netherlands. Then from there, um, 
I was working for Velocity in Netherlands and then we got acquired by Salesforce. There was an opportunity for me to relocate to Singapore. So that took me to Singapore. And then finally, um, after Singapore, we relocated to Dubai again because my wife got a job opportunity here and I wanted to do something entrepreneurial and it's just easy to do in Dubai. So I feel like through all of that, I've gotten a good global mix of things where I've gotten kind of, uh, you know, Western culture in the US, uh, you know, Eurasian culture or whatever you want to call it in Russia, uh, East Asian culture in Singapore, and then you know, Middle East Arabic culture in Dubai now. I also spent a bunch of time in Brazil because I had some, uh, I had a project there. I have a bunch of friends in Brazil. So I also got that Latin America culture and um, I wasn't formally living there, but I spent maybe six months total between a bunch of trips. So I, I feel like I've gotten a good mix of everything. I'm just missing, uh, I feel like Africa at this point is kind of a major culture. Um, in terms of my favorite, I really love Brazil. Um, unfortunately, it's quite dangerous there, especially if you don't look local and if you don't speak Portuguese. So, you know, for someone like me, it's it's pretty dangerous. But I feel like if, if you know how to look out for yourself, it'll be fine. Um, but yeah, if, if we take that factor away, I would absolutely love living there and learning Portuguese and being a, a part of the culture. Just amazing place. If you haven't gone there, do check it out. Um, and then of, of the places that I lived uh, so far, I'm really liking Dubai. Um, what I like about Dubai specifically is there are a lot of people that are entrepreneurs here and like everyone in my circle now is, you know, starting their own business, doing something entrepreneurial. And it's just very cool to be surrounded by, by that kind of vibe. And it inspires you to do better, to push yourself more and to achieve more. And that's really cool. And I just have not found this kind of culture in other places. So. Um, I'm really liking Dubai now. We'll see. We'll see what I say in maybe two or three years from now. But <laughs> I think I'll uh, we'll be here for the indefinite, uh, for at least next few years, and see where it goes from there. So I think it's a great motivation to all of our listeners that if you pursue your uh, calling and uh, you really develop, that gives you an opportunity to travel and see the world, and hopefully everyone will have this opportunity to to see what's beyond their hometown. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me and look forward to catching up on the next episode as well. Thanks everyone. Thanks, thanks Georgi for joining us today and uh, thanks for sharing your outlook. Yeah, it was an interesting conversation with a discussion of interesting technological issues and personal thoughts, which can inspire us to do new things and move forward in learning Salesforce, right? So, Georgi, thank you very much, and I wish you all the best. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please, if you like the episode, do not forget to like or comment, uh, leave any reaction. And uh, as Georgi can become our next guest, uh, just reach out. We are always happy to talk to passionate professionals and enthusiastic leaders. Bye-bye.